0: Good morning. It is so good to have you here this morning. Thank you for making time. I hope the breakfast was good. I know you didn't say grace, so I'm going to pray for you, and then uh, we're going to get in. Father, I just thank you for today, and I thank you that you will touch people's lives. You'll network people together, and your spirit will leave us inspired in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just for for those of you who don't know about it, we're releasing videos like this. Um, We've been sitting with some of the head of ECD and, and, and some other spaces to learn good information about good projects that are happening in the city. Uh, I've, I've got a list of them. Video's going to come out on Changwini's 21 billion small city development that'll be happening, a 4.5 billion investment into the port Ketone Logistics Park, which is they've spent three billion in there, another three to go, uh, and Cornubia, that's got a 25 billion investment over the next 20 years. Some of that information and the details of that will come out in video, so we really encourage you to watch our social media. But for those of you who are coming for a first time, um, the purpose of these breakfasts is one to network you. Uh, I don't know, but if you know, but if you look around the room, there are some very influential people in this room. In fact, I would, I would tread lightly when you, you might meet a president or something as, you, as you're having conversations around you. So we want to we network people, we want to build trust, and we want to inspire with good information. And so today we've got an absolute treat coming, coming your way. But Ash is going to speak for a moment about um, what's happening in the business ministry, and then I'm gonna call our guest speakers up. So give him a hand as he comes up.
1: Hello. Morning, everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Good to see so many faces here, a lot of familiar faces. Um, I was here last night running our Grow Group course, so we've got quite a lot going on in the business business ministry. It's a little bit more than just the breakfasts. Um, We are running a Grow Group course for those who are at Olive Tree Church, and the aim really of those Grow Group courses is to really explore what it looks like to be a Christian in the workplace. So we really dig into some interesting topics there. And we've got a bunch of other things happening as well. I have mentioned some of them before, but um, some of them are coming to fruition. So we've got Terrence over there who's running um, a financial planning course. Um, He just actually recently been running a course at the UT, so really getting stuck into the use there and, and helping them to understand what it looks like to plan financially. Um, and then, yeah, mentorship as well. We've got a couple of the Cluve people here today. I'm quite excited to be le- launching our mentorship program finally, so that's gonna be kicking in from next month. And then finally, um, for those of you that are really you know, avid entrepreneurs, something that I'm super excited about is we're gonna be having an event off the back of this event, um, which is gonna be a think tank session. So, you know, we look at these events and we go, you know, what are we, what are we trying to achieve? We want it to be more than what someone said to me once. We don't want to just come here and have a, a bit of bacon and leave. Um, we you know, we, we wanted to be inspiring and give you good information. We're really trying to take it to the next level. So we've been having some discussions. So Ajiv, who you saw up there, um, he's going to be joining us for a think tank session. We're still finalizing the dates in the next month. And we're also going to be well, we're trying to tie down a, a top level representative from the Department of Trade and Industry. And the idea is going to be, we're actually going to sit down in a room with some business people, um, hopefully some of you from this group and we're actually going to thrash out a whole bunch of, um, of questions, you know, looking at where, where are the opportunities, you know, what is the strategy for the city and we're trying to actually create an opportunity for the, the normal business person to engage with the city in terms of where their strategy is and where it's going and how we can actually plug into that. So I'm pretty excited about that. If you are interested, um, drop us a mail and we'll let you know when that event's happening but I think it's a, a huge opportunity where we actually start engaging with the city, um, especially as the church. So, yeah, I'm excited um, to, to listen to the speakers today. Um, hope you guys enjoy it, and yeah, thanks for coming.
0: Thank you. Without further ado, I would love to invite Aurelia and Gugu up here. Our guest speakers, they are an absolute treat. will not you give them a hand as they come up? It's been a, a good week in South Africa, so let's end it well. We won one rugby game, one go. Uh, I, <clears throat> I was actually I was at the um, point. I had a meeting with Philip Satole because I'm I'm trying to push a handheld meter system over the edge because if we can get it into into Durban, we we can give a ton of jobs and and start cleaning up some some areas. But he was he was boasting about that promenade, and I don't know if you saw the video footage, but. If you can get down there, it just looks absolutely amazing. But, ladies, what a treat. Um, Gugu, you you may not know, but she was the head of uh, Um, Gainey Water when it was running at about a 200 million rand loss, and then she turned it into a profit-making machine. It's about 60 million rand in three years. That's...
2: (laughs) More than that. (laughs)
0: We, we just want to know how you did that in a state-owned enterprise. Because it must have been easy. I mean, it's just like normal private sector. Just tell us how you did this.
2: <laughs> a lot of tricks <laughs> had to be implemented. Thank you very much for inviting me this morning. Um, it's quite a privilege. Um, maybe the story of Fungani Water um, is, is very different because of the people that were there and what we were Uh, interested in doing Um, it's a state-owned enterprise and uh, we went to the Minister of Finance we said to him please can he give us a bit of money he says no Gugu you must just do with what you have Um, obviously surprising because SAA keeps on being assisted (laughs) right? So, what we did was, uh, honestly speaking, I I went on my knees. I said to the Lord when I was appointed in that position, I said, I don't know what to do. Uh, I've been given a contract for five years, and within five years, I need to turn around this utility. I would like it to give glory to yourself. Uh, Help me to know what I should be doing. Um, Because I was at the time a young mom as well, I didn't have hours of time where I could sit and. uh, pray for, for hours. I only had 15 minutes to just sit before the Lord. I had three little kids that I had to cook for, take to school, bring back and I was a CEO. So, I and, didn't have a lot your, of time. And your
0: husband's not a really busy guy at all.
2: Not really. Not really. Not really. Not really. So
0: for those of you <laughs> who don't know, her husband is the Minister of Agriculture. So, it's so quite a...
2: Yeah, so anyway, um, so with that 15-minute prayer that became uh, a lifestyle in the morning, God began to reveal things that I should be doing, and it became quite easy for me to pick those things that needed to be done. One of those things that I did, uh, I was appointed on the first day that I came to Mgeni Water, there was, it's true South African style, doi Doing. Ah. on my first day. The union was all over the place saying, no, this organization is corrupt, that's why there's no money and you must sort everything out, you must fire the board. I'm like, they've been here longer than me for 20 years, they still don't know that the role of the CEO has nothing to do with firing the board. (laughs) I'm like, wow, okay, this is going to be interesting. But anyway, I got in and uh, we started to then look at the business um, and review the business. How was it operating? How were the assets being used? What are the revenue streams that we should be looking into? And we started to just redefine the direction of the organization, and we decided to have a vision that was bigger than uh, perhaps what was rationale at the time. Our vision was to be the number one water utility in the developing world. And as you know, the developing world for us was a place which was growing faster than the developed economy. So basically we were repositioning the public utility to be better than any private sector utility. We started finding out from the world which was the number one water company in the private sector and we benchmarked ourselves against the best water company in the private sector. We started learning about which uh, water company in the world, the United Water um, in the US, we went to Australia, we went to other parts of Africa, we sent teams to find out which company is the best in water, because we wanted to beat that company. (laughs) That was our strategy. (laughs) So we started a whole transformation. The transformation required me to go to Parliament, to explain to Parliament that we're redesigning the way water boards ought to operate. I was challenged by all my colleagues in the water sector. They say, what are you doing? You're making us all look bad. I said, exactly, because we are building this nation, right? I was the only female at the time uh, in a COO position out of the water, 21 water boards in the country. And it was necessary for us to push the boundaries. So we pushed the boundaries with parliament, we pushed the boundaries. And when we were trying to talk to uh, government about what Umgeni Water really needed to do, people would not listen to us. So we thought, okay, if the country is not listening, what we're going to do is we're going to take the fight to the global level. We went to the world economic forum we demanded a slot at the world economic forum they gave us a slot and we said water is critical we have a water scarcity in south africa our government is not listening to the extent that they should can they start to help us across the globe we we started the movement from the world economic forum and suddenly many south africans were not going to the world economic forum suddenly South Africans in the water sector started going to the World Economic Forum. As you know now, I mean, the president of South Africa now goes to the World Economic Forum because now we were starting to influence the water sector from a global level right down to where we were. But it required us on the ground to say to our people, we are here to build. When you, are, when you belong to the kingdom of God, you always bring light. You are always building. So what is a desolate place, you turn into a garden, right? Nice, into nice. an Eden. And that's what we were doing. I brought in a, a team, a new team. I remember standing in front of uh, the 1,200 staff compliment. <laughs> this was something else. <laughs> I said to them, um, we are starting a restructuring program.
0: They must well, have been excited.
2: Well, a lot happened. I'm going to tell you what happened we need to fundamentally revisit everything we're doing. And they said, no, you've just been here for a day. Who do you think you are, (laughs) right? And I said, from today, I'm the only one who is employed. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody else has to give me a reason why they are. The union was up in arms.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did God tell you to do that? Yes. I love it.
2: And God, yeah, and and I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to be fired. It's my first day in front of staff. (laughs) And the Lord said, just say it. I stood there and I explained. I said, we are on a mission. I'm on a mission to build here. That's what I've come to do. I've only got five years. An old gentleman stood up, African gentleman, and said to me, I'm not going to report to a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be told by a girl what to do I said here's the thing this girl has gone through an interview process she was the last person interviewed and got the job out of 88 people that applied from 7 to half past 5 according to the law of the land this girl is who is the CEO and this girl is who you're going to listen to
0: did he stay?
2: <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, Ross, for me, it was about position. Who are you? When God has placed you in a position and you don't know who you are, people are going to use tradition against you. So good. They're going to say, because I'm an African man, I am more powerful than you. Just because you're a woman, you still need to work according to tradition. Other people were saying to me, "Um, I received a letter, very sad letter on a Thursday. I had started on Wednesday from a gentleman that was running our finance portfolio. He says to me, I don't see my way clear to report to a black woman. I'm leaving.
0: Did you smile and...
2: I said thank you very much, but I just want to tell you something. Unfortunately, God did not create black and white and Indian and colored people. God has made us all in his image and likeness. We are spirit in a body. But if you want to limit yourself into the color of your oh, skin, brilliant. then you have not understood what God has created in you. No. He left, went to Australia for a few years, and he struggled. He phoned me. He said, "Uh, things are not going very well. I said, come home. Hmm. We rehired him because he was best in what he did. Because he had learned that when you are a human being, and when you're a child of God, you don't keep grudges, You are forever lifting people up to their greatness in Christ. That is the responsibility that I had, to take people from what they think apartheid told them they were to what God says we are. That's
0: beautiful.
2: And this is the struggle of our life in this nation, making people understand that the color of your skin limits your exposure if you just stick to people that look like you. You must be in a place that allows you to h- learn all the experiences which God wants us to have so that you are positioned to lift everybody up, irrespective of your background, irrespective of where you come from. So changing Omegini Watcher was an exciting adventure with the Lord. And I saw the Lord changing a utility where we were given five years to turn it around. We did it two years ahead of schedule with a predominantly female executive team.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, because you're a bit of an underachiever, so how did, you, uh, <laughs> how did you change that board? Obviously, a couple of people resigned, but did you, how did you, because firing people in a state enterprise is not particularly easy.
2: It's not easy if you don't understand the law. If you understand the law, our law allows us to fire people if they don't perform and if you followed due process properly. So the board, I could not do anything about the board because the minister appointed the board. Okay. But men and my management team, I sat in one meeting with them. We were sitting in the... I was introducing myself to them. I said, hi guys, I'm here, how are you? I said, I asked them three questions. What does the law say about the role of water boards in South Africa now? They couldn't answer the question. I said, what do you think are the key challenges that we have? They counted things, You know, uh, we've got a challenge with uh, things that were within their power to change, but they were calling them challenges. Then I was wondering why are you in this executive position if you haven't solved some of these problems and so on. Then I said to them at the end of that meeting, "Um, I'm gonna get legal advice so that we can all understand the process we need to follow, but I can tell you now that the likelihood of everybody sitting around this table staying is 0% because we are on a mission to change a utility that is underperforming, and we want it to be number one. So we need to all change, including me. So we started a process of changing. We started a process. We got a legal uh, company in to advise us on how to go through the change process. And I was challenged, of course. You would see it in the media. There were 40 people that took me to the labor court. I said, I will meet you there, it's OK. <laughs> <laughs> I am prepared to do whatever it takes to clean up the organization so that it better serves the nation. And that's what we had to do. So even the union, they would come to a meeting and, and they, we would invite them for a strategy session and say, we are starting a process. that would not turn up. And I said, the law only obliged me to consult you. You don't run the organization. I, as management in the team, will run the organization. So the union ended up um, uh, aligning. It took a long, long time, obviously, for them to align. But uh, I told them that I'm not going to stop doing what I'm supposed to be doing, because my position is to run the organization on a day-to-day basis. So it became... um, Quite a, 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 an exciting uh, activity challenging um, at the time because of corruption and uh, relationships and bribes that were going on. I came one morning to my office, it was ransacked, and I was almost thrown off the <laughs> the freeway. <laughs> I ended up calling the National intelligence to offer me protection that 's how bad the situation was, but I said. I believe that uh, the blood of Christ surrounds me and protects me. And when there's something that comes towards me, it rises up and speaks for me. And it will protect me going forward. So I was never scared, but I had to challenge, I had to go to the Hawks (laughs) to report certain things that were going on. It turns out the person I was reporting the matter to at the Hawks was involved in the corruption. (laughs) Oh Lord, South Africa. (laughs) South Africa. Um, So it it was very, very difficult at the beginning because when you're a child of God and you are not scared, I remember a very powerful politician calling me, he says to me, I understand you've just issued a tender for $200 million. I said, yes. He says, I understand it, so and so got it. I said, no, I don't know. He says, why would you not know? I said, because it's below my authority. It's done by management at a lower level. $200 million is too small a figure for me. He says to me, so you don't know where there's $200 million?" I said, no. He says, why didn't you give it to me? Do you know how powerful I am? Do you know how difficult I can make your life? I said, here's the thing. Please tell the president of the nation, as a powerful man in a powerful political party, please tell the president that I'm standing here in my position, making sure that the administration here where I'm posted is clean. I am representing him properly. If you decide that you want to use your power, use it. I'm not afraid of men, I'm only afraid of my Lord.
0: I left this lady after the, the first time. I thought, what am I going to interview her about? Uh, I left the interview with goosebumps, like I've got now, just so actually convicted about following the voice of God in every aspect. I hope, I hope this has inspired you so far. And um, Aurelia, I'm, I'm sure you feel no pressure right now after that. <laughs> as a...
3: I'm wondering if I should actually speak.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what I love about Aurelia is... I know she looks like she's sort of 21. She isn't. She's uh, she's the head of Innovate Durban, probably one of the smartest people in this room. Um, In fact, a bunch of us could add our IQs together and we would struggle to come close to her. Um, Aurelia heads up Innovate Durban. And so I'm going to just start by asking you to explain what Innovate Durban is, how it kind of sits with government, and what you guys do.
3: Sure. So thank you. That's a very tough act to follow, but I'm going to save my testimony for a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so Innovate Durban, first of all, thank you so much, Ross, for inviting me here. It really is an honor to be sitting here, I must say. Mm-hmm. Um, Innovate Durban, just in a in a nutshell, comes out of Etiquini Municipality. So we were a program that was born out of the the Etiquini Municipality, really to try and stimulate Innovation and this growing entrepreneurship um, ecosystem mm-hmm. within the Durban region. So, when we were set up about six years, it was just a thought um, that kind of sparked this whole program that is now its own nonprofit company. And it was really a few people getting together and saying that something needs to be done, change needs to happen within local government but also within Durban. How can we better support young people out there? How can we better support everyone in fact with their entrepreneurship and innovation efforts? And so it was set up as a program. um, A few failed attempts here and there but nevertheless we got it running and um, in 2017 it was set up as a non-profit company. The reason behind that was A lot of the growth of Innovate Durban as a program and what we were trying to achieve in terms of growing the ecosystem within KZN was being stifled by the red tape, which, Gugu, I'm sure you know very well about, uh, within government. A strategic decision was made. It was a decision that um, was made, and I'm not sure if the politicians knew what they were doing at the time, because we kind of sneaked it in the report that we would set this up as a completely independent entity to the municipality.
0: Yeah, so God's fact, ministry of sneakiness. Well yes. done. <laughs> yeah.
3: So when you're in government, you kind of learn to get around things um, until you stopped. Um, so we kind of snuck it into the report. It was approved that it would be set up as a nonprofit company. And that's how Innovate Durban, the entity, was born. Um, I think we've been doing some fantastic work mm-hmm. so far. We've really been trying to help a lot of people out there. We've created a number of employment opportunities, um, trying to build capacity around future skills development. Mm-hmm. So really trying to help people out there, not just the youth, because mm-hmm. there's so many other people, and I'm, I'm getting close to the post-youth phase. I won't <laughs> give away my age just yet. but. Um, that, can, that are still adding so much value to the economy and should not be neglected. I think there's a huge focus on the youth, especially in South Africa, and it should be, but I think we must not forget that there's a huge part of the economy um, that's made up of people that are not necessarily youth, and so we support people at all ages um, with their entrepreneurship and innovation efforts.
0: Can you give us, because you're working with entrepreneurs a lot, give us a couple of good news stories so that we can understand on the ground what you do.
3: Yes, so we've been running an an annual youth innovation challenge um, where we invite um, young people to participate and they come up with solutions to challenges that are being faced in the Durban economy. So we've been running this since 2015 um, when we were still part of the municipality and over the years we've met and come into contact with a number of bright young people um, I'll just mention a few stories. So there in, in the year 2017, there was a young gentleman, his name is Ntando Ndemande. He developed a foot tap um, that can be used, um, so just operating it with your foot, uh, that saves you water. So it opens as soon as you press it down, and as soon as you lift your foot up, the water stops running. Yeah. So it can be used in public spaces to, number one, save water, save water, but also secondly, to um, have, it's got other health and safety or sanitation uh, uses as well. So this foot tap can be used in hospitals, in restaurants, any public space. And he's just recently commercialized his product and has got his first customer, unfortunately not in Durban, in Gauteng, but nevertheless for a young person who's still within university, has developed this idea and come out of our Youth Innovation Challenge. We provided him with the support. But the support only takes you that far. And with an entrepreneur, and I'm sure most of you in this room have started your own businesses or are within your own businesses already established, a lot of passion and a lot of hard work, Mm -hmm. perseverance. Mm -hmm. And all the successful entrepreneurs that have been through our program have these these traits, and you can spot them immediately. You can identify the ones who are willing to go that extra mile are willing to work in the late hours. And he literally sat there. Our program would run over a week-long period, and he would sit there past the 5 p.m. cutoff time till sometimes 8 o'clock at night where we'd have to sit with him because he was still trying to build his prototype. And look at where it's got him now.
0: Oh, so exciting. Yeah,
3: so that's just one. Um, another success story is a young um, Indian gentleman based in Verilam. His name is Joash. He's developed a fish farming uh, method where he takes the the waste from fish and he transforms that into fertilizer that he now sells to the local community at much reduced prices to grow fruit, organic fruits and vegetables, and he's already serving his local community. So that's an innovation that's come out of someone within a community that's benefiting first and foremost the community that they're in, and uh, you know they always say charity starts at home. But this goes beyond just charity. This becomes trying to provide a sustainable livelihood within Mm. your own community. Mm. So I mean, that's, uh, for me, a fantastic story of someone who's come out also the same traits as Ntando, passion, perseverance, Mm. that's got him to the point where he is now.
0: Okay, you got any more?
3: Yes, I do. I've got a lot more. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll speak about a, a young female who's come out of our program. Her name is Tobile. She's now developed something that's actually going to benefit all of us. Um, She's developed a smart meter or a gadget that is attached to your water and electricity meters. And it will give you the actual, um, accurate real-time reading of your meters as opposed to you physically having to go and look at your meters every day or when you're having to report to the municipality or when the municipality comes knocking on your door to come and check your meters. And it's something that would be linked to your cell phone that would give you real-time information. So at any point of the day, if you want to just check what you're reading is, you can do so. She's um, now in talks with the municipality and also um, private residents to try and pilot this project. But that is going to be a real game-changer that could save a lot of people a lot of money.
0: Mm. Aren't these cool? I mean, just excited to see this stuff happening. (laughs) I want you to know I have a complete agenda every time I do these. My agenda with Innovate Durban is that we get business partnership with them because I think we can probably get some of these things a step up. So, so I'm hoping that you get involved here. But speak to us. You, you're going to put um, a development center into Cato Ridge? Uh, Kato, Manu. Kato Manu, sorry. Um, <clears throat> I get the Cato's wrong all the time. Uh, could you just talk to us about what that is, what the objective is? and how much that's gonna cost?
3: Yeah, sure, so we are developing the first innovation hub in a township. There's just a huge push, not only from government, but also private sector around township development. And so we are developing um, an innovation hub within the community of Kato Manor, Mayville, and Chesterville, so it kind of borders those three um, communities. It will be set up by December this year. Yeah. We have attracted funding from Technology Innovation Agency um, and also a private sector company called Software AG, together with Innovate and investing in this. The project is costing about 3 million um, for now. Much smaller budget than a lot of th- the government projects, but we, we know how to use our money wisely. <laughs> um, so we're investing wisely. We are setting up an innovation facility that will be a co-creation space for the community to come in and use tools such as 3D printers, laser cutting machines. Mm. They can come in and use the space to build and make their own prototypes. If they've got a business and they want to test something out, it's a facility that they can just freely come and use. Mm. We're not charging for this. It's, it's um, completely open and free to the public and also trying to get them to engage with each other within their own communities, the local businesses, Mm. but also to try and make a difference within those communities. Mm. That is the whole purpose of setting up these hubs within the community and not within the CBD or um, another urban center. And it's really to try and rejuvenate and regenerate those communities, to inspire them, to motivate to enrich the the lives of people that don't have access. It's really democratizing access to tools and information that they don't necessarily have. Um, Yes, the young people in a community have access to the tools through their universities or colleges. Um, They're able to be transported around to, to access these things. But then there's the Gogo sitting at home who has no idea. You mentioned the word innovation, and she has no idea what that is but it's allowing her to still contribute because she is contributing meaningfully in her household, but how can she do more Mm -hmm. and use what she's learning at home to spread it around the community? So that's the whole idea of it, trying to democratize access and provide these opportunities.
0: I think this is so exciting. I think that... um, I think that whenever I speak to business uh, or entrepreneurs, they say to me, the struggle they have with their staff is lack of innovation and lack of perseverance, work ethic related, and uh, and when you get something like Innovate Durban, who's who's going to grassroots to develop the thinking required for innovation, just I think we should get behind it. Goo, <coughs> I'm I'm going to turn back to you. I, I would presume, having Thanks. heard your story a little, that you were educated in a private school somewhere. Uh, please tell us about your upbringing.
2: Okay, so I was, um, I'm an only child, born of um, my mom and my dad who lived in Durban, but uh, couldn't find uh, a place where they could have me with them all the time, so I got dumped with my grandparents in Boloa. So I was raised in Bulwa, a little village uh, in Bulwa towards the berg, if you're going towards the berg, in a village called Mkotlwa. So I I went to the local school there and uh, grew up in that area. Um, I didn't know I was poor until people told me, I thought everybody, (laughs) everybody, (laughs) everybody just live like this. I mean, what is the issue? So I lived the way everybody lived, and uh, it was wonderful. And then, uh, you know, my mom, in her wisdom, when I was um, 10 years of age, she decided that she was going to just turn things around. And she took me from Bulwa and dumped me at a boarding school in Ishawi. Now, you take a rural kid that doesn't speak English at all, and you put her in a multiracial school in a class full of white people, and she's the only black person, there has to be something wrong with that parent, (laughs) right? I sat in this class, it was a Catholic school, and I said to myself, okay, um, at least I can pray the prayers in Zulu. I will understand that much okay because I was a catholic at the time I understood everything uh, uh, in Zulu so it was a, a roller coaster year when I started there it was very challenging but god now I understand why he put me there the reason he put me there which has made it easier for me when I became a ceo I've been ceo now f- like four times in my in my career I realized that he was teaching me a number of things. One, that color does not matter because I was always in the top four, five in my class. So understand that whatever apartheid is telling you about what is uh, going on in the nation, that is not what my word is saying. I have made everybody the same. It is according to your faith, not according to where you were born. So I learned that lesson and then I learned something even more important that became critical in my responsibility as a CEO at Humgeny Water, to look at solutions from a point of view of a variety and a diversity and the richness of the people around me instead of thinking that my point of view is the only point of view. So I learned to pick and uh, uh, relate to different nationalities in my team, and how to pick them out, and how to encourage them, and how to um, get them to, to, to open up. Because during those days, it was still a bit difficult. You know, People were still not sure uh, whether they want this change that was coming with democracy or not. So you needed to find a way of reaching out to people. And so God taught me even then, long time, even then how to reach out and bring the best out of everybody and work in a team environment. So that was very valuable. But as I moved along, um, I then went to uh, Catholic schools. I was Catholic all my life. And, uh, uh, and I, I don't mean to bring down the Catholic church or, or undermine what the role of the Catholic church, but there came a time when I had to ask God um, if I should be staying here. Um, it happened a few years ago, and uh, I ended up leaving the Catholic church and uh, uh, taking a different journey. Um, but I believe that uh, my upbringing prepared me for where God is taking this continent. And I think people must understand that Africa is rising as the last giant of the world. And we need to understand that we are now waking up from the ashes and we will as a continent lead the world. Uh, we are the fastest growing uh, continent in terms of the, uh, the population of people that can actually work the working class in the world, ahead of China, ahead of India, okay? So what does that mean? It creates opportunities not just for us to uh, start introducing new products and new ways of looking at things, but it also tells us that Africa has got a huge role to play. And if you read your Bible, there's a wonderful rendition in the Bible talking about the role of Egypt, the role of uh, Kush as we, were known, of course, at the time as Africa, the role that we will be playing in the future. So one of the exciting moments, I think, um, for me at the moment is the role of Africa and uh, how we are gonna be playing such a significant role in influencing, not just in the government space, not just in the private sector, but also in our communities and also in the church. You know, a lot more African um, uh, uh, pastors, evangelists uh, are actually uh, sharing the word with the rest of the world yes. and actually giving the prof- prophecy to the rest of the world and Africa is rising in every aspect, business in the, in, the, in the ministries or the kingdom of God and also in the private sector, it's an exciting moment to be alive and God has ordained for us to be alive at this time when there is transformation and change that is happening in every sphere. It is a moment of really great excitement right now.
0: Yeah, to speak to that, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the Mara investment, but to have a Rwandan cell phone company investing one and a half billion into a Durban base, is just, it's awesome uh, to see that kind of stuff. You've now moved to agriculture. Yes. Okay, we're going off scripture. Uh, Could get into trouble. You've moved into agriculture as a faith because you feel led to speak to us a little bit about that
2: okay so you know that God doesn't want you to be bored (laughs) if you are bored you have not understood your God so God places a passion once you have finished a particular assignment God puts another challenge into your heart and have you noticed that God just places you in something you don't know Because you don't need to know, the Holy Spirit knows. So two years ago, he put me in a place where I was able to purchase a farm that was before, my husband at the time was the president of Kosatu, So he never knew he was going to be a minister. So two years ago, we, we purchased a farm and we've been sitting with this farm and we're saying, Lord, okay, speak, it's two years, you know, say something. And the Lord says, what is the problem in the nation? I said, well, there are many. Which one are you talking about? (laughs) Um, And the Lord says, well, in this field of agriculture, the key issue is that many people don't have access to land. If I've given you this large piece of land, you can use it for yourself. Can you not? I said, yeah, it's a big farm. And, you know, we're going to start working and we started working. My children are actually running the farm. I'm just advising them, they're actually here. And then the Lord said, what I want you to do is I want you to use the farm in a kingdom way. I'm like, okay. What does that mean? He says, I want you to subdivide the farm to portions so that you can create other farm with your farm. I said, Lord, I bought the farm <laughs> with my money. I didn't even get government to give me the farm. I bought the farm. <laughs> And the Lord says, in my kingdom, the way we work is that we give before we are given. That's the way we work. That is the system of God. We give a seed and the seed multiplies. So that is what we're doing at our farm. We are in the process of creating uh, sub-farmers and hopefully uh, some of the farmers that are struggling to have access to the land and so on. Uh, They'll be able to use our land. Some people are choosing to lease a portion of our land for what they want to do. So we're gonna be making that available to them. Some people are choosing to buy the land from us. So they're gonna be doing whatever they would like uh, to do. Obviously within the parameters of the guidelines that we want to do as a whole estate development on the farm. So it's a whole new different model that we didn't even originally plan but God is leading us step by step in running that farm.
0: And mostly macadamias?
2: Yes, we're going to be having macadamia, avocados, and then a, a portion of the farm is going to be earmarked for vegetables, a small portion, only 30, 30 hectares uh, for vegetables, but we're going to be doing 100 hectares macadamia, we're going to be doing 50 hectares avocado, we'll also be doing about 50 hectares of sugarcane.
0: And basically, they, they move on lease given... And, and then they give back a percentage of profit back into you.
2: So the way we're going to run it, because we're going to run the operation, um, the, basically the, the farmers are not actually going to be slogging. We're going to be slogging for them. So we're going to be planting the macadamia nuts. As you know, within five to six years, the returns on that is very good. Um, and uh, basically within uh, we've worked it out that between f- three to five years, they would have actually paid off the farm if they want to buy a portion of the farm. So um, we'll be running the, the, the farming operation with them. We are hiring um, um, uh, a farm manager specifically for macadamia so that he can run that operation. For each commodity, we are getting a specialist to run it so that it is very well run in, in, in a specialized way. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I, I just love the way this... Lady, Um, thanks. I'm going to, we need to wrap up, but Aurelia, tell us the dream for Innovate Durban, um, and then I'm going to follow that up with, preach to people about what they are going to do in Innovate Durban.
3: Sure, so um, I think Innovate Durban, what we'd like to be, essentially, is the central support agency within KZN. Um, We're already trying to play that role, but eventually that is what we'd like to be. We would like to be that one, and I hate to call it a one-stop shop, but that one central point Mm -hmm. that entrepreneurs and innovators and actually anyone outside of Durban could actually come to as their first point within KZN and get the support they need. Mm -hmm. Um, When we were initially set up, the mandate was to create jobs. And whether it's it's, it's jobs are being created through entrepreneurship or, mm-hmm. or people wanting to work in a formal employment um, sector, mm-hmm. then that's what it is. Um, it's also trying to equip people um, with the skills for the future. Um, we all know about the fourth industrial revolution and you know that I hate calling it the fourth industrial revolution because I feel that term has been overused now, but it's really trying to equip people and raise the bar and get them to that level where they Mm -hmm. have the necessary skills to move forward. So yes, and um, I think for me, um, this is my first time as a CEO. I was listening to you and you said this is the fourth. Um, Just my journey to wrap up, because I think it is a story that I would like to share, Mm. is one of God's favor. Um, Ajeev is sitting here and he's my previous boss so he can also um, he can be a witness to this because he's been part of the journey when I started off at the municipality I came out of well actually before that I was a student fresh out of varsity started in the private sector worked there for three years in the private consulting firm got my opportunity with no work experience from there moved on to the municipality but before i could get to the municipality i resigned from the company that i was uh, working at without a job and i was getting married in a week's time and had no idea how i was going to foot the bill for my wedding <laughs> and um, had no idea where i was going to work i fasted and i prayed i fasted and i prayed for a very long time i got an interview at the municipality i can't even remember when I had applied for the job, but I somehow, the application went through, applied for the job, um, got called for an interview. It was the day before I was writing um, my honors um, economics exam. Went for the interview, left there saying, I've got this, but not realizing that they had already made the decision. (laughs) Um, Yes, so walked out there saying, I've got this. I did not apply for a single job thereafter and just fasted and prayed and said, I'm having faith that I've got this job. My family came and a lot of people said, no, you've got to apply for other jobs. You can't just wait. Um, And I said, no, this is mine. God's telling me that this is mine. A week or a few days before I could leave the company that I was at um, to go off and leave to um, do the last prep for my wedding, I got a call from the municipality saying I got the job. I cried on the phone. I had never experienced, that was the first time I had experienced God's favor so direct in my life. Um, And from there, I was so much more aware of it. Mm. I think as a young person, you kind of take it for granted, especially um, for some of you who don't know, I am a pastor's kid. (laughs) And so you take it for granted. You grow up because you're, you're born into a Christian family. Um, you go to church regularly, but you don't pay that much attention.
0: Um, <laughs> just encouraging so me with my kids, kids. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. <Yes.
3: laughs> take a you going to heaven one day. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, so um, I think at that point, that was a defining moment in my life. And from there in the municipality, in Ajiv North, it's just been a whirlwind. Um, the opportunities came, mm. there was a lot against me at times. Mm. Um, Every time there was a promotion or something, mm. there was always I was made taking that step, but there was a thousand things yeah. coming against me. Oh. And it's normal. Yes, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, and I must say, a lot of prayer, um, a lot of faith in what God can do and will do for me um, turned it all around. When I applied for the CEO position at Innovate Durban. Firstly, it wasn't something that I had planned to apply for. I was always meant to just set up Innovate Durban and for someone else to run it. And I was pregnant at the time, and God said, no, this is your time. Um, I could feel it. I knew that I had to do it. I applied having no executive experience. I competed with previous CEOs of some government organizations, other professionals out there and i think the thing that came through was not the fact that I, I lacked the experience but it was everything else that i could bring the human experience and that god and it was only through god mm-hmm. i can't even um attribute it to to anything else yeah um so That is my testimony that I wanted to share, just a real experience. And I think being a leader and learning as a CEO, because I'm learning every day, I'm dealing with issues that most of you in this room have have dealt with, but for me, it's a first. And it's learning, but uh, leading with a lot of faith, so faith-based leadership, having a core set of values, Mm. persevering, having a strong work ethic, and also being able to mentor and share what you're learning with others will take you a long way.
0: Well done, well wow. done. Uh, now I want you to take the opportunity and use some of God's favour and tell them what you need.
3: Oh, oh yay! Good <laughs> time. So Innovate Durban is a non-profit. Uh, we, we've been set up as a public benefit organisation as well. Um, we do get our core funding from the municipality, but set up as a nonprofit PBO, we are always looking for organizations who wish to invest. As a nonprofit, the money that's invested within the organization is used to, uh, to the beneficiaries to further benefit those who are part of our program. But also, now that we're setting up um, these innovation hubs in different communities, with the first being in Cato Manor, it is directly going to benefit those surrounding communities but we don't just want money, we want people who are able to be mentors, who are able to give their expertise and advice. So if you are an expert in a specific field, I heard that you're running some financial training, we could benefit from that, it doesn't necessarily have to be you, but anyone who wants to give of their time to local communities through Innovate Durban, we welcome that.
0: Awesome, and they just get hold of Innovate Durban and
3: Yeah, so they can um, contact me directly or Innovate Durban. We're on social media as well. If you want to follow us on on LinkedIn, that's where our professional, uh, the professional network. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, but you could email or visit our website. It is www.innovate.durban.
0: Awesome, thank you. Gugu, you get the last say. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, because you have the inside scoop, on the ANC and where we're at as a country. I wanna ask you how we, how should we pray?
2: (laughs) With all that is going on in the country in politics. Okay, let me just say um, there are many good people in all the political parties, including the ANC that believe in God but they are scared because they put their provision in their parties. They haven't put provision to be coming from God. So even when they have a voice that is against legislation, let's say there's legislation on abortion, for instance, they don't fight in terms of their position in Christ. They fight in their position in the party because they want to belong. So what we want... uh, what, what we have been trying to demonstrate, my husband and I, is that um, when you are in a position of influence and impacting so many lives, your position is Christ, in Christ is more important than the political position. He's been in hospital for 75 days, and people thought he was dead. On the day he had a brain uh, aneurysm and had an operation and couldn't walk at all couldn't talk couldn't do anything and even his family had written him off and i said (laughs) i am a child of god i don't take a report from a doctor who is not of god i take a report from heaven and in heaven god has no intention of anybody being dead who has a mission and a destiny The work within the ANC is not done. Even the ANC can change. Even the DA can change. Even the EFF can change. People still have a capacity to change. So I needed him to wake up and be on this mission. So I've been praying over him. He's totally healed now. He's walking around, he's fine. So for the first time, um, what we're doing tomorrow, we're doing a Thanksgiving. Um, to God, to give God glory, uh, uh, glory to God. And what has happened is amazing. We invited only 30 people from the ANC and they have invited themselves. We now have close to 160 people coming. (laughs) And I was saying to myself, why are 160 people coming to a Thanksgiving? And I realized that God is beginning to show us those who are wanting things to really change. So I would like you to please help us to pray for those women within the leadership and within government. Obviously the ANC is the government of the day. We must pray for those who are inside, in positions, on influence, where they can actually make a profound change for God. So that is what is needed in this time.
0: Awesome. They are incredible, and they're gonna be around. I just wanna end this by, uh, I wanna give a point, but there are, there's a Jeev here, I think in Klunklaas here. There are a bunch of people you would want to network with, so please don't run away. But I've just spent a day with Rory Dye, and and one of my elders asked him, governmentally, he said, what's your hope for South Africa? And Rory said, extremely positive and he said why and his response was everybody's afraid of crime and afraid of where the government is and 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 all the the kind of news 24 stuff he said but um but he realized god spoke to him and said to him daniel was safer in the lion's den than he was in the stadium watching Mm -hmm. and he was safer in the fire Mm -hmm than he was if he was the God putting him in the fire. Mm, mm. And when you have a people who are rooted in faith and Christ, mm. in an environment that's negative, they are completely safe and able to make a difference. Yes. Now when you hear stories like this and you get the inside scoop and you meet people like this, it is hard to be negative, scared and run. Mm. And uh, I think in this next season, we need more grit than we've ever had as South Africans. Mm. And we need to be more rooted in Christ than we've ever been. Because if you put your roots into News 24 and Christ, I think you're going to wobble. Yeah. I think we need to now dig in. There is a community of faith that's growing and networking more and more. Yes. And if you can connect yourself into that network, yes. what you'll find is the good news stories outweigh the negative yes. and the real information that helps you move forward is available and it helps you understand how this country can shift. Mm. So I would encourage you to network because they're, they're really influential people here who can mm. shift your perspective and these two will be around for a little while. Um, we're gonna end by praying for Guru's husband. She is fasting today for him uh, as he takes his last steps out of sickness and uh, and then it would be lovely if you hung around but will you give them a hand for all of Google, I'm going to pray like a white pastor. You know it's short and to the point.
2: You are not (laughs) white. You are spirit. (laughs) Amen.
0: Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord. For this lady, we thank you for her husband. And we speak health and healing and life and truth and your kingdom into his body now in Jesus' name. And we ask, God, that boldness comes onto that room of 160 people and that they are unable to shift and step back, that they will move forward in the power of Jesus' name. And, God, I just ask that as we go, you will knit us together and into your plan for our city in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Lovely being with you this morning.